Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we interview people from our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We'll hear their powerful stories, get their advice so that we can be better leaders for ourselves, our family, and in our community. I am your host, Cliff Duvinois, and today's guest comes from a family who has impacted literally millions of people ever since his grandfather started their family-based business back in the 1940s. All kinds of memories are created by families as this business serves as a transport from people from the mainland all the way over to Mackinac Island, as well as numerous lighthouses, nighttime cruises, 4th of July cruises. The list goes on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the president and CEO of Shepler Ferries, Chris Shepler. Chris, how are you? I'm great, Cliff. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up or where you're from? Yeah, I grew up right here in northern Michigan. And I actually, I I bought the house my parents built from my parents 20 years ago. And they moved out to Goodhart, just north of here along the Lake Michigan shore. And I was born in Petoskey at at the hospital there in Petoskey and lived in Mackinac City through... uh, about seven years of age, and then we moved to Harbor Springs, and and I, I I still I still live here after a little hiatus, and I we'll get into that a little later, but I came back to to my roots and absolutely love Northern Michigan. And speaking of hiatus, let's explore that a little bit more. So, you wound up in Ohio. How did you get down there? Yeah, don't hate me for this Ohio thing, right? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's not Ohio State, but it was Ohio Wesleyan University where I, I started my schooling down there. And, and from there, I spent three years or actually two and a third years at Ohio Wesleyan where I played uh, basketball and football down there, a little small division three school, and then took a little bit of a break for the rest of that year, and, and uh, I lived in Vail, Colorado that winter. I was a ski bum, and I worked at a Chuck Muir restaurant, another Michigan iconic name, and uh, worked for him at a restaurant in, in Lion's Head there at Vail. And, <clears throat> and then after that, winter was over, I came back and, and uh, worked for my family business and transferred schools out to the University of Rhode Island. And that was due to a dear friend of mine who did the same. And uh, he kind of talked me into Rhode Island. So there I went. Now, is this the same friend that uh, convinced you to potentially go out and crew for the America's Cup team? Well, uh, this friend is a gentleman by the name of Brad Dimio from Rhode Island. And and, uh, he and I were roommates in college, fraternity brothers. And he was a big sailor. He was the captain of the Ohio Wesleyan sailing team. And I did a bunch of stuff, uh, more big boat stuff with that sailing team, just because I was a bigger guy. And, and you certainly didn't need a 215 pound guy on a little dinghy racing around a harbor. So I did <laughs> some of their big boat stuff. And, and he and I sailed a bunch together. And I, I, I wouldn't say that he was the one that talked me into getting into the America's Cup, but he was one that certainly helped pave the way because of his knowledge of sailing. And he and I sailed uh, a bunch together back in the you know mid 80s, early to mid 80s. So I guess you could say he was a, he was a conduit to that for sure. How did the opportunity to crew for the America's Cup come about? 
I was in the right place, Cliff, at the right time, and and it was no more or no less than that. I, Laura Melgus, Buddy Melgus, who's a two-time Olympic gold medal winner, and he's won several world championships in the star class, of which some say is the hardest sailboat to sail, and yachtsman of the year, and and everyone in the sailing community knows Buddy Melgus from Zenda, Wisconsin, and. So his daughter lived in Harbor Springs and married a a good friend of mine by the name of of Steve Arbaugh. They're divorced since then, but at the time, and I believe she was an All-American at the University of Wisconsin. So she was doing some little Tuesday and weekend stuff around Northern Michigan. And I ran the bow for her on a J-35. And I remember this one regatta, it was towards the end of the summer, 1985, I believe. And she said, great job. You know, you did really well in the bow today. I'm going to give my name, your name to my dad. I was like, that's great. And I've had a, just a, a, a big dream of racing these 12 meters. Now the, the class of boats have changed since then. But back then in 87, it was the 12 meter was the class of boat. And I had ever since high school, I had a, had a, a dream to race in this race at some point in my life. And, and so, you know, after she said that, I was like, that's great, Laura, but uh, you know, where's the, where's the beer garden, right? We're just finished a race <laughs> and, and where is it? So about two weeks after that, I did get a call and this was a, uh, a syndicate out of Chicago, the Chicago Yacht Club. And I got a call from them and they said, we'd like you to come down for a tryout. And I said, I think that would be great. I would too. And, and I ended up jumping in my, my Volkswagen rabbit at the time, diesel and driving down, getting down there late at night, spent the night at a hotel and showed up the next morning, nervous as a, just a, a, a kid on a first date, walking down the dock and seeing the boat and the guys working on it. And, you know, God, this is really happening. So I, I was with that group for a week and I had to go home. I didn't have any money in my pocket. I had no clean clothes and, and I, I needed to go home. So I was reluctant to ask them if I could go home because I didn't think they'd invite me back. I thought this was it, and, and but I had to go back and and I left. And I remember, well, that was an experience, of one of which I will always remember sailing with the likes of Charlie Scott, who just won a huge race down in in Florida, the SORC on a J41 that was almost impossibility, and he won it. And Gary Jobson, who was the announcer for ESPN after he was finished with us, and, you know, Buddy and all these guys that, that you grew up idolizing and hearing about and listening to. And and their philosophies on sailing, and, and 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 now you're sailing with them. So I ended up scooting home, and the next morning I got a phone call from the syndicate that said that they wanted me back and, and for me to get back down there. And your plane ticket is at the Pelson Airport. So I went back, and kind of the rest is history. Without a lot of trials and tribulations along the way of trying to make a team and what that all entailed. Oh, I but bet. it was I, – I ended up making the team, and, and – um, headed to Australia. And how many years did you do this? Well, I, I was with the America's Cup for with Heart of America for about a year and a half. And and that was uh, a lot of training, a lot of we're building a new boat in Newport, Rhode Island, and a, a lot of getting that boat ready. And then, of course, the, the Australia trip. So that was about a year and a half. And then I continued sailing 
for another four to five years on, I sailed on a boat called Matador, which was a maxi boat, an 85 foot freers that took me all around the world. And, and I sailed for a gentleman by the name of Bill Koch. And, and then I, we were talking about it the next America's cup. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to continue to work for my, my father's business and, and doing another America's cup was not in the cards for me. I, I remember coming back from in, in 87, back from that America's cup with $12 and 50 cents in my pocket. And I'm 29 years old. And it's like, golly, I, I think I should be further ahead than I am now, but I'm, I'm not. So I needed to, I wanted to sleep in my own bed. I wanted a house. I wanted a car. I wanted, you know, a, a bank account and all of those things that a 30 year old should have, but I didn't. But the book of memories that I'd had established at the time and kind of who I am today is because of those, all the things that I did over the last, you know, two years of my life really helped me in the business world to become a good leader as well as, uh, become a good businessman. And, and, and so I, I said no. And, and here I am today. Speaking of getting into the family business, why don't you share a little bit about how Shepler's Ferry even got started? Yeah. My grandfather who is now passed away, but he started with a six passenger speedboat and he was always of the philosophy that if you give them a quality service ride, which is still today our go-to. If you give them a quality ride, a clean ride, fast ride, you've succeeded. And uh, so it was a six-passenger boat, and and people would leave Chicago and want to get to the Grand Hotel at two in the morning, and he would wake up and and start the boat and take them over in all kinds of weather. And then when my dad got his license, when he was 16, they built another one that was called the Miss Penny and the, uh, the Fiji. And they ran, you know, pretty much not all day long, but under a charter situation where they didn't have a schedule. But when someone came up and wanted to take, it wanted to go, they'd take them. And then that kind of grew. And then they built another one a 24 passenger called the Miss Margie. And then they built a 36 passenger called the Billy Dick. And from there, we started to get into the service of taking people to Mackinac Island. Didn't have a dock on the island. We were using our competitor's dock. And, you know, it was uh, it was a real true story of, you know, uh, how are we going to get this? How are we going to, how are we going to make this happen? And through trials and tribulations and a and a will and, you know, too dumb to quit type attitude. We bought some property and then we started to grow. We built a boat called the Mine Capitan, which was a disaster in terms of speed and stability. It was, uh, it was not the boat that we wanted. Sold that, uh, had built another boat in 69. And I think that's right when we started to take off to put us kind of where we are today. In 1969, we, we, bought or built a boat um, down in Louisiana from Camcraft, who's no no longer existence, but they were a boat builder. And J.B. Hardgrave was the designer and got us a boat that went through the water at uh, 28 miles an hour. And that really revolutionized how people would get to Mackinac Island. And, uh, and we grew considerably over the next 10 years of our, of our existence to, to build, you know, four new boats in that period of time. And 
And then 1986, I believe, was the last boat that we built, and and we hadn't done anything until 2015. So we kind of went into a plateau. And then since, you know, roughly five years ago, we've been in a, a growth spurt since then that we've been trying to keep ourselves in front of the in front of that that curve, if you will. Certainly. And I know you said before that your your grandfather actually started the business. Business is doing well. Your father got his license and he's starting to ferry people over to the island as well. And at some point in time, your father took over the family business. And when he did that, was this about the time when you were starting to get bigger, faster boats to carry more people? Yeah, that that whole transition between my grandfather and my dad was was one of those of which it was very easy. My grandfather, he loved everyone in the in the community of Mackinac, the village of Mackinac, and so he'd go to coffee and my dad was the real pusher of the company back in the in the 70s, really. <clears throat> and he he developed uniforms back when uniforms weren't, you know, weren't anything there nobody had them and then came name tags and then came a manual and then came the this training that he developed from uh from a disney kind of platform and and so my dad really took it to the next level and and in that transition between my dad and my grandfather was a very easy decision it was more like okay bill you got it yep got it okay i'm going to coffee and that was about it the transition from my dad to uh, us kids, and I have a brother and a sister who are very much a part of what we do too. My brother is our fleet captain, and and my sister is our is our bookkeeper, and, and so that next transition was was very difficult for my for my dad, and something that that he had done all his life, and then now for him to kind of step back was was very was very tough for him and and our family because this was really this is this was Bill Shuppler, the Shuppler's Mackinac Island Ferry Service, someone that's been making decisions and making calls for forty years of his life, and that's now starting to change and and it started about six years ago. It sounded like your father really was instrumental in turning everything into a series of systems and processes that could be duplicated would you would you say that's a fair assessment that is that is a very fair assessment that's exactly what 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 went on and i guess that was one of my not my struggles but my thought processes i always thought that you know i was running the saint ignace operation and and kind of had it pretty handled carried 30 percent of the total portfolio of shuplers you know, we had a freight service up there, so I kind of did both. And yeah, I got this, no problem. And then when I moved to Mackinac City to sit in his chair, I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. And it couldn't have been anything farther from the truth. How my dad kept everything that he had going on organized and moving forward was it was phenomenal. I had a beautiful playbook in front of me that that had us all going. And we've changed considerably since then with technology and computers and how we sell a ticket and online ticket sales and, and insurance and, you know, all the, these business things that we do, uh, those have all changed. But the, the playbook that he established was, it couldn't have been, been any easier 
but the magnitude, the scope of what was going on around us and the decisions, the, the, the everyone coming to you to ask you about this, ask you about that. It wasn't about, oh, you know, the ferry boats. It was about other things that that businesses are all built upon. And, and those decisions were overwhelming for the first two years of, of my life, trying to keep in front of that eight ball. And I, I, I knew I was in trouble when, when my my inbox would just, I'd have a thousand messages there, not daily, but that I had to go through where in St. Ignace I had five or six and, and just that <laughs> and the time that it takes to answer all those was, was incredible. Oh, I bet. I did want to ask what it was like taking the reins of the family business. And it sounds like, especially at the beginning, that it was fairly daunting. How do you make that transition into making such huge decisions. I mean, you're talking, you know, with the boats, the maintenance, the, you know, making of payroll, the number of people that you transport, how do you go about getting yourself comfortable and making big decisions like that? Well, I don't think you're ever comfortable. I'm, I'm at least I'm not. And, and I think the, the, what drives you or what you're is constantly on, on my mind is the fear of failure. And, and the fear of failure gets me out of bed every morning. And I know that sounds really cliche-ish, but I tell you, I, I do not want to fail. And it's not because I don't want to fail. Chris Shepler, I don't want to fail. But I don't want to fail the 200 cast members that we have working for us. And and of those, the 50 that work for us year-round, that I'm responsible for their livelihood. And, and they're putting food on their table for their, their families. So... I know that sounds maybe a little dramatic, but it is the truth. And, and every decision that we make along the way has a bearing on that. And so I think that that, that was the toughest part, the, the, the fear of failure. And, and even now that, that still is, especially in these times that we're in right now, our, our every decision is, is, is so very important to getting it right and being able to move on and, and, and keep you know, the, the money flowing so you can pay your, your employees and have a successful business. So I, I think that was, was the, the, the big thing for me and, and, and our employees to make sure that we're, we're doing it right. It's become easier. Let me say that as well, because, you know, before I'd make one decision on a, on a purchase of an engine or the, the, the desire or the need to build a new boat, you know, it's a $4.5 million decision. And with that, we grew considerably over, this was three years ago when Arnold Transit sold to our competitor Starline. And with that sell, we increased business. You know, you eliminate a competitor and it's not a marketing plan that you developed that you get all these people. It wasn't that. It was simply, you know, a competitor was gone and we grew we were in double digit growth for three years in a row until this year. And, and with that, the infrastructure of how we were doing things needed to be changed. And uh, we had a year to do it. And if we didn't get that done, who knows if anyone would come back to us. So the systems that we put in place were, uh, I, I put those together and it was mostly just knowledge of how my dad would have done it. And for instance, a day parking lot, we, we're now parking our cars off site because we have more room. 
but we also got to get them from where they park back to our dock. So we developed two trams, kind of Disney tram-ish type units that will transport 70 people every 10 minutes from our day lot to our dock. And then once we did that, we, we were, and this is a just a quick example, is that we were now carrying as many people over land as we were over water. So this parking lot had to have a service drive. We could not take things that we were transporting people from that parking lot to our main dock. We couldn't run that tram right down the middle of the parking lot. Kids running out from cars and 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 and, and racks off of big trucks for their bikes that you may or may not see and 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 all those things. So we we put a service drive in. Yeah, we we lost some parking spaces doing that. And, and this would allow people to get on and off in a safe manner. And then we, well, we need bus stops. So we put three bus stops or tram stops over there. And that was, that was a huge plus for us because now we had plenty of parking. We were transporting people in a safe manner and, and it was happening quite quickly. So, but then came, you know, the, the, the training of our drivers and, and, the, and, and the inspection by the, the state government, you know, the state police to make sure all of our vehicles correct, the purchasing of buses. So it was, I, I think, just that in a nutshell. And there's other stories on how we've grown that the infrastructure that we built to provide a, a, a quality experience for our guests when they go to Mackinac Island is there's five or six of those other stories that uh, trying to ramp up and make that experience instead of parking on gravel, let's park in, a, in an asphalt parking lot with lines and bumpers and, oh, there's the tram stop. I go there, I get on the tram, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You made a very interesting comment, and I, I'd like to explore this just a little bit, when you said that you're you're transporting people over land as much as you transport people over water. About how many people a year do you have using your service? We're at about 600,000 people for six months. So the May and the Junes, you know, they're busy, but not real. You know, it's the July, August, and September, and September has become what may used to be for us back long ago but september is golly september is almost equal to august these days it's 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 so strong with people traveling getting away for weekends even coming up on the weekdays so yeah it's about 600,000 people and and the majority of that is all happening within 3 months and just to think about the fact that you've got 600,000 people a year coming through. And you're right. They need some place to park their cars. And if they're having to park a half a mile, a mile away, wherever the parking lot is, they're going to need transportation to, to be able to get to the terminals. It's quite a feat that you guys have to think about. It's not just our boats and can we get over there to the island within one hour, two hours, whatever it takes, versus having to spend all this time thinking about all of that infrastructure just to get the people from their cars to your terminal. Yeah, and then you have the the systems in place to do that in a safe manner, and then if you if you go 180 degrees, then it's how the heck do you pay for it all? <laughs> we <laughs> we you know we invested roughly, you know you're looking at 13 million dollars over a three year period of time just in an, in in infrastructure builds, and uh, you know that was that that was daunting to me, but at the time it's like no, we got to have it. 
we got to, because if we don't have it, someone's going to get hurt. You know, someone's, we're not going to be able to provide this, this quality service that has built our business. And unless we prov provide that type of platform, wh whatever that platform is, whether it's a parking lot, whether it's a tram, whether it's a clean bus to get them from wherever to the dock, parking, overnight parking, uh, a quick story about valet parking. We had valet parking for many, 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 many years. And we now do not valet park cars. And and it's been two years now since we've done that. And and it was not because we wanted to take a service away from our guests. We felt the service was in getting those people to Mackinac Island as quickly as possible. So when you're parking 600 cars a day, in a valet situation, you can't imagine the amount of people it takes to valet park 600 cars a day. And that's 300 over to the lot and 300 back for those that are coming off the island. So you're, you're getting in six to 800 cars. So that was, that was a pinch point where people were either waiting for their cars when they came off the island, or we didn't have enough stalls to get rid of the cars to go park them and have another car come in to unload f for overnight. So we had a pinch point at the gateway where you entered because we didn't have enough room because we didn't have enough drivers to get the cars out of there. So you had a pinch point there. You had a pinch point at the, at the ticket office. Excuse me, sir. What uh, kind of car do you have? What color? What's the license? I don't, can't remember the license number. Well, okay. So now that window was tied up until the guests went, found their license plate number, came back, gave it to us, and then we could end the transaction. So all of those pinch points were really making it difficult for our guests to get to Mackinac Island. Yeah, we, we had a service of valet, which they loved, but it was a, it was, it was an hour and a half worth of time when we had valet service. Now we don't have valet service, but we also have 304 stalls of on-site parking where you can park on-site for overnight, which is very convenient. And we have an overnight lot that we bus people back from that lot, much like a rental car situation at an airport. And that hour and a half quickly went down to within a half an hour of the time that the guest would arrive until they would be leaving for Mackinac Island. So that was probably the toughest decision as a leader that I've ever had to make was, do we take away this service that people have gotten so used to? And now I look back three years later and it was probably one of the smartest moves we've, we've ever made by, by that because we took a look at that guest and what do they want? They want to get to Mackinac Island. Yeah, valet is kind of a nice thing to have, but they want to get to Mackinac Island. So let's not hold them up anymore. Let's find a way to, to, in lack of a better word here, process that car, that guest, to get them on the boat and get to their destination as quickly as possible. Speaking of getting people to their destination as quickly as possible, you're set to launch a new boat this year, correct? Yes, we are. We're Yeah, it's very close to being being ready. 
Sweet. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, this was a, a, a boat that we, and I won't get into any of the details really in terms of the power plant, but we've got a little different power plant to the vessel. She's uh, jet driven. So we're prop guys, you know, a shaft coming out the bottom of the boat, propeller on the end of that boat, and you put it sure. in gear, that propeller turns and, and, and grabs water and, and away we go. With speed being so important and vital to our business right now, the Miss Margie that we built in 2015, 6,000 horsepower, great big propellers, and that boat would, you know, that boat was a monster. And But what we're finding is that it's tough to put a boat through the water of that size that is a high-speed planing hull. What that means is that boat actually rises not out of the water like a hydrofoil, but it rises and rides, you know, on its just like any kind of speedboat. But it, it getting clear water to the propellers so they perform at their at the highest of levels was very tough to do at that speed. And there was a lot going on underneath the the, the hull of that boat, meaning speed, meaning three propellers, not two fairly close together, close to the bottom of the boat. We had tunnel hulls, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on, but I won't bore you with all of that. So with this new boat, we, we're, let's, try, let's try pushing it through the water with the water itself and see what happens. So we, we got together with Hamilton Jets, state-of-the-art jet propulsion company out of Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, they, they've been great. And uh, we're really anxious to see what that boat will do in regards to maneuverability when when we get her in the water. So we've got a different power plant as well. We've got 804 horse engines. We've got four of those in the vessel and they're driving four, four jet drives. And it, it, I go down and look at that boat and I just, I shake my head going, this, this thing's going to just fly. <laughs> and it's supposed to, but the, you also find that with the prop drive, when you load that boat with as much weight as, you know, 285 passengers and 10 cartloads of luggage in a prop drive situation, that boat doesn't lose efficiencies. It's not going to go down in, in speed too much. But what you're going to find is that, that in a, in a jet drive situation, you're, you're going to lose efficiencies fully loaded, but you gain those efficiencies back when she's empty. So she might go 45 miles an hour when she's empty, but she'll only go 35 when she's full. So we're, we're kind of waiting to see how all, all those numbers work out for us, but we're excited. It, it's only going to hold 210 passengers. And that was, we wanted to make the back deck as big as we possibly could. Mom and dad don't travel to Mackinac Island like they did 20 years ago. Cause you know, there's bikes now there's burleys, there's tandem bikes instead of, uh, you know, two pieces of luggage for a family of four. There's six pieces of luggage for a family of four. So it, that has all grown and the need for the back deck and less people on board is, is very important. When you talk about having uh, a jet uh, as a potential motor, is that something where like you, you suck the water in the front of the boat and then shoot it out the back of the boat? Yeah, not in the front of the boat. It, all these vents are in the, on the bottom of the boat and it, they're all in the, in the back aft of the boat where the the jet so it's not a jet engine it's a regular diesel engine that turns a shaft like it would if it was running a prop drive but that shaft is engaged to a pump 
which which compresses the water and shoots it out the back of the boat. That that component is a jet drive. The engine is a regular diesel engine like we have in all of our boats. It's just running instead of running a propeller in circles, it's running impellers inside this jet drive to compress the water to shoot it out the back of the boat at a high rate of speed. That's totally awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's it's they're very cool. They're cool to look at out of the water and I can't wait till we we get a chance to see what she what she does in the water, but there's so many really cool uh, how you steer the boat is is you have this toggle and this toggle is looks like a boat sitting on your dash that's maybe 3 inches long by 2 and a half inches wide. And and you just push that boat or the toggle, if you will, where you want the boat to go. And it'll go there, whether it's sideways, backwards, forwards. And the computer tells it how to do that, tells the jet drives what to do to get the boat to go in that direction. And then if it's not going in that direction, you just take the the, the throttles and you give it a little more juice and the boat will end up going in, in that direction. So it's it's something totally new to our captains and, and they're chomping at the bit to get on board to 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 play around with that with that video game if you will sounds totally cool even i want to screw around with it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you and me both (laughs) nice sweet so i know and i do want to spend a little bit of time talking about this because at the recording we're we're a few weeks away from hopefully getting this shelter and home stay home stay safe order is going to be lifted people are going to be starting to you know, come out and, and obviously, you know, they're going to be thinking about uh, potentially vacations. And I know that from, you know, like a business standpoint, especially transporting so many people, what are, what are some of the things that you're, you're thinking about as this potentially is drawing to a close and, and people start traveling? What are you, what are you thinking about for a business standpoint to, to help keep these people safe? There might be three things in there and maybe a fourth, but the first one, are they going to travel? And and that caveats with if they're going to travel, what do we got to do to make them travel? And then once they do travel, what do we got to do to make sure that they had an experience that, that they're good with? So the new norm for us is, and what we're focused on right now as a company is is obviously not to spend any money unless we absolutely have to and and I'm I'm not a fan of that philosophy on 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 running a business but right now it's it's absolutely necessary but what 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 we're focused on is the safety aspect of of and I'm not talking about driving a boat in a, in in a 16 foot sea and being safe that way absolutely is that on the top of our mind it always has been always will be However, the safety factor of, of making sure that, that we keep our environment as clean as possible, not only for our cast members, but our guests, making sure that they feel comfortable because they don't feel comfortable. They're not going to travel. So right. we, we have to do the best and not only letting those folks know what we're doing, but those systems need to be in place and need to be absolutely accurate and and done every time not every third time but every time and and you know providing masks providing the hand sanitizers we've we've taken on four uh, backpack battery operated backpacks that will allow this 
this disinfectant to be a very fine mist that we spray. So when the boat comes in, and, and, and we're meeting this week with our team to, to go over some of these procedures because they've been floating around in everyone's heads on how we're going to do it. Now we're going to put it all together. So not only do we have to put that together, what that looks like, but also how are we going to communicate? Is it through signage? Is it through social media? Is it through marketing? And, 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 and to make sure that our guests feel comfortable when they, when they arrive us. But that boat comes in, we unload it every one way. So when it gets to Mackinac Island, we unload that and we spend 10 minutes making sure that that boat is disinfected and is a safe environment for everyone to come. So social distancing is part of that equation. You know, are we going to do 50% occupancy in the cabin? 60% occupancy on the top deck. We're getting no direction from the United States Coast Guard, the federal government who governs us. And I'm not saying they should. And I, that wasn't meant to be derogatory. That was just a fact that, that we're really not getting a, uh, a, a sense of where they want us to go. They just want social distancing. So I think we're going to take it upon ourselves without any ruling or governing by the government to to enact those type of policies where instead of the boat hauling 285 passengers to Mackinac Island, which is a very cost-efficient way of travel for us at least, now that boat maybe only holds 150. And what does that look like? And now our schedules, every half hour, you're not going to keep a half hour uh, schedule by disinfecting for 10 minutes every one way. Uh, you're not going to do it. So what does that look like? And I think it's important for our guests to see us disinfect the boat. Yeah, we might tell them, but if they can see it, then I think that that is, is a much more powerful statement than us putting something, you know, on, a, on our website that says, yes, we clean the boats. Yeah, that's absolutely true. How many times do your ferries go back and forth on any given day? Well, it, and that's another really good question for the new norm. I, I don't know what that looks like for the 2020 season. In the 2019 season, which was our best season ever, coming off the best season ever we had in 2018, we were leaving the dock from, you know, the 1st of July through the 20th of August. We were leaving for a four-hour period of time. We were leaving every 15 minutes. So we had six Ooh. boats running for four hours of the day, like a, like, you know, <laughs> just coming That's and going, watched. coming and going. And, yeah. and, and that was effective for us. We carried people and we, the, it seemed like the more busy we would get, the, the more efficient and the easier it was for us to, to perform, you know, at a very high level. So when, when it was slow or rainy or cold or whatever, it, 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 not that it bogged down the system, but it just seemed like it was not as easy when you had people walking around and being there ready to get on board and, and you know, the, 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 the machine was running. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know what it looks like. We have not developed a schedule and here we are going to start in two weeks, two weeks from Thursday on the 28th of May, it, it just, it, we don't know again, what that's going to look like right now. Yeah. Cause the one thing I was just thinking about is, you know, you think about it, the ferry comes in uh, and lands on the mainland and the people get off. Then your crew has to spend uh, 10 minutes 
disinfecting it, making sure that it's safe. People climb onto the boat. They go over to Mackinac Island. Your crew has to disinfect once again. So that's adding 10 minutes here on the mainland, 10 minutes over there on Mackinac each, each way. That's like almost like adding 20 minutes uh, into your schedule. Yeah. And then, you know, that's one aspect of it. And then how do you pay for it? You know, you've got a whole separate crew. You're hiring, you know, eight or nine more people in the maintenance department to, to, to do that. And do you station them on the mainland and on the island? So when the boat comes in, they get on board and do their stuff or do they stay with the boat or how does that, how does that whole thing work? So yeah, we, we have, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. I love the, the change and the ability to, to figure out change because change is going to happen no matter if it's COVID-19 season or if it's not, you're going to have change and you got to continue to evolve or you're going to die, one of the two. So that's the exciting part is that change and how do you do it and how do you do it to the best of your ability? Exactly. Man, Chris, I, I get this. Uh, th- I get the feeling this could be one of those conversations that could, ju- could just last all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly enjoy talking about it. It's it's what I live and breathe every day, and and so uh, to have this outlet right now with you, Cliff, is the best day I've had in in, in four weeks. So thank you. Oh, you're making me blush. if uh, anybody in our audience wants to follow what you're doing, you know, connect with uh, Shepler's Ferry uh, online, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Online it's shuplersferry.com. That's S H E P L E R S F E R R Y.com. You can also socially on Facebook at Shepler's Ferry we're we're very active on our social media page as well as Twitter and and we have a whole team that that constantly monitors that and is posting and letting people know what we're what we're doing. We've been kind of quiet over the last five weeks, and it's not something we're proud of because we do enjoy chatting with our guests and even our cast members. But you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I and mean, I can't remember if it was on the podcast itself or if it was you and I chatting, but you know, we've, every day seems there's a different, there's, there's a different direction that we're headed. One day it's this and the next day, no, we're not starting that day. We're going to start this day. And then, so we've been really reluctant to, to, to tell anyone what we're doing because that could change. Now, you know, with the governor's orders to, to still stay home, stay safe through the 28th of, of May, I think we're we're getting our arms around now a possible start date for us, and and we hope to start on that date and get up and get moving and and be be that company that you want to go to when you when you're taking a vacation or getting away from you know all that's been going on. Yeah, I bet, and I I, I think between the the federal government and uh, the state government, you know, who's issuing orders today. Is the CDC involved? You know, is the health department involved? Is it you know any number of agencies that are popping up every single day? So I can I can completely understand uh, why it seems like every single day you get up and it's just it's almost like you're playing a different game. Yeah, I, I call it a rabbit hole. You know, I get up, uh, I go to bed at night, and I got you know a, a parameter of which I'm going to travel the next day, and I'll jump down the the one rabbit hole. The next thing you know, I'm I'm not even viewing that rabbit hole anymore. I'm going to go over to this rabbit hole <laughs> over <laughs> over here, which can be you know frustrating at times. But 
you know what? I, I'm confident that we're that the United States and the world is going to come out of this thing. And we're going to be, I, I can just speak for ourselves. I, our company is we're going to be a better company at the end of this rainbow than we were at the beginning of the rainbow. And we're going to figure it out and, and we're going to provide the best darn experience that we possibly can to those that uh, wish to put Mackinac Island on their radar for the 2020 or 2021 season. Awesome. And there's no doubt in my mind that that you will do that. And for the, the links that you mentioned before, for our audience members, we will have those in the show notes down below. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Cliff, this has been my pleasure. Thank you for breaking up my day. And, and we hope to see you on Mackinac. Come on up. We'll make you a captain for a day. <laughs> You know what? The way you described that little, that joystick, that video game thing, who knows? I, I can have a new career. You never know. There you go. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Cliff. Hey, everyone. Before you go, if you want to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox, then come over to callofleadership.com and sign up for our free email newsletter that includes all kinds of goodies. I'll catch you in the next episode.